Valentine's in two weeks. Valentine's Day is in two weeks. I know you already got a really big plan. You told me we were married, you know, but it is in two weeks. So we're going to provide cards to you or any additional reminders so you can act like you remember on your own. But uh, it is in two weeks. Um, what I would like to do, we've never done this yet, and maybe this is the year, what I'd really like to do is provide clubs to the women. So on Valentine's Day Sunday, if you were, uh, if, if you were the man in your life or not, then, um, let me alert you of something that you already know, and it is the reality that bad things happen. Men forget Valentine's Day. That absolutely happens. I forgot Jess's birthday one time, um, just once. It won't happen again. But I, men forget things. Bad things happen. I forget to take out the garbage, even though it's been coming every Wednesday and every Saturday. Every Wednesday and every Saturday for a long, long time, I forget to take out the garbage. It's an epidemic. Um, yesterday, Chris is not here, but yesterday Chris exploded red Hawaiian punch all in the front of my car. So bad things happen. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I have an ingrown toenail. That's a bad thing. Don't think about it being gross. Just feel bad for me because I'm in a lot of pain. But bad things absolutely happen. Um, I have never-ending projects at home and things continue to break. Anybody else got that going on? So bad things happen. Um, little bad things happen to, to all of us, right? Um, you go to work, you come to church, people don't pull their weight, you end up having to do more work. Bad things happen. Some people can't drive. That's bad. Raises your stress level. Does anybody else yell at traffic way more than they yell at anything else? I do. So bad things happen. Um, some people are totally inconsiderate and they don't mind inconveniencing you as long as it works for them. Sometimes it seems like they inconvenience themselves just to inconvenience you. And so, you know, bad things happen. Really bad things happen. People lose their jobs. People in here have lost their jobs. Uh, had to find new jobs. People have taken pay cuts. People have Some people have serious financial stress. Some people have been neglected by their parents. Some people have been isolated by their friends. And so little bad things happen and big bad things happen. And really big bad things happen, like terrorist attacks on innocent people. Just watch the news right now. Lots of crazy stuff. Genocide, even in this day and age, still happens. So bad things happen, and that is why uh, sometimes some of us hold grudges, and that's why some of us have enemies, and that's why we spent a couple weeks talking about grudges and enemies, because absolutely we have them, and we usually have them for a pretty good reason, because somebody did something to us. I think my wife has a, a, a grudge or an enemy, and it's people who drive large large SUVs who can't drive. She has a grudge against all those people, right? Amen. Can I get an amen? There we go. Um, yeah, we have grudges for good reasons because people have done things to us. Uh, there's a, a story in the Bible, though, of a guy who, who, could, who you've got nothing on. When it comes to bad things happening to people and good reasons to have grudges, you've got nothing on this guy. And when it comes to people doing bad things to you through no fault of your own, this guy takes the cake. He's got it way worse than you. In comparison to him, you're like, I saw a guy on the news this past week. He won the lottery. He's been on a couple times. He won the lottery seven times. Anybody seen this guy? I have never won more than like one time I won free season tickets to uh, Ole Miss women's basketball. You know? And I didn't make it 
to one game. So I've never really won anything. This guy's won seven times. Um, but even even still, your life in comparison to that guy's life, you're like the seven-time lottery winner. I mean, that's how bad this guy's had it. Uh, Genesis chapter 37, we meet this guy. We talked about him before. Genesis chapter 37, we actually meet him in verse 17. He's got 12 brothers, so he's already, he's the youngest, so he's got it pretty bad. 12 brothers, he is the youngest. Um, He's his dad's favorite, which you think would be good, but if you're the youngest and you're your dad's favorite, you've probably got it even worse. And so he's got nothing that great going for him. Uh, Scripture says that because of his dad's favoritism, his brothers couldn't stand him. Specifically, it says they could not speak a kind word to him. Can you imagine having 12 brothers and none of them have one good thing to say to you ever? And some of you are like, that sounds like me growing up. But absolutely, he's man, he does it. He's got a tough childhood. And, uh, and, and, man, his brothers can't say anything kind to him. i got to wonder, do you have anybody in your brain that you cannot say a kind word to? At least not and mean it. At least not through gritted teeth. When I was a kid, there, were, there was this kid who would always beat me up on the playground because I'm tiny now and I was even tinier then. And he would beat me up and then I would have to stand in front of him because he was also more cunning than me and he would tell a better story and it was believable. And I'd have to stand in front of him and tell him that I was sorry. You ever had to do that? And I refused to do it every single time because I couldn't stand this kid. Is there anybody now... That if you had to look them in the eye and say, you're a beautiful person and I'm glad you're in my life and you're smarter than me, that you would rather drink poison or acid than have to stand in front of them and say that to them. You got anybody in your life like that? You probably hold a grudge against somebody. You probably have somewhat of an enemy. That's how, that's how Joseph's like. That's how people are treating him. And then this happens. So he's got all this going on in his life, all these people that just can't stand him. And then in Genesis chapter 37, verse 19, if it wasn't bad enough already, it gets even worse. Joseph's brothers, they're out working. And he comes out to them. He's bringing them something from their dad. As he approaches, this is the conversation that his brothers are having about him. Here's what they say. They say, here comes the dreamer, they said. This is verse 19. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. I mean, you get that? So this guy's own brothers want to kill him. Verse 21. But when Reuben, that's his oldest brother, heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So he's got a brother who's kind of for him. He's like, no, we'll just, we'll just fake killing him, and then I can do something good for him later. Then verse 23 says, So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? So they say, hey, we could kill him, but then we don't get anything out of the deal. So what can we do instead? Well, we'd have to cover up our crime. So instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. 
After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Do you hear this twisted morality? They're like, let's not kill him. That would be wrong of us. Let's sell him into slavery. You know, let's at least be civil about this whole thing. So they do that. It says, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Let's be honest. Even if you've got it bad, you don't have it quite this bad. Unless, and I apologize if you were sold into slavery. I apologize for minimizing your situation. But I would believe that none of us have it quite as bad as this guy. All of your siblings who you've grown up with for all the arguing and grumbling and going back and forth that you have with them are probably not selling you into slavery. And as this teenage kid, no doubt, pleaded for his life, uh, right there in front of his brothers, right in the face of these traitors, they just exchanged money and exchanged him as a person right there in front of them, uh, just like he was just a piece of property and it was a regular business deal. And if anybody has got a a good reason to hold a grudge, it's probably going to be this guy. If you can believe it, uh, the story actually gets even worse. He gets sold into slavery. He's a slave in somebody's house. Some of you guys know this story. He's a slave in somebody's house. And, uh, and, and the person who owns the house, uh, his wife comes on to Joseph. And, and Joseph resists that because he's such a good slave. And, and the woman gets mad because she doesn't usually get people turn her down, I guess. And, and so he turns her down and, and she tells everybody that he came on to her. And so now uh, he gets thrown into prison. And in this day and age, if you were a slave and you got thrown into prison, you just stayed there for the rest of your life. So first he's thrown, in, thrown into slavery, sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he gets thrown into jail for life for a crime that he didn't commit. And if anybody has got a good reason to have some enemies and to hold some grudges, it's probably this guy. And I think the thing that we can say of Joseph that I can probably say of you, even without knowing 100% of what's going on in your life, is I think we can say very definitively is that bad things happen. And more specifically, bad things have happened to you. Can I say that? Can everybody agree with me? Some bad things have happened to you? Not all good things have happened. And it is absolutely something that we can say about all of us. And you don't have an enemy and you don't hold a grudge because everybody was so kind to you that it just overwhelmed you and you hate them all. Right? That's not exactly how it went down. Some bad things absolutely happened. But for some of us, the bad things happened and it made us a slave. And for some of us, bad things happened and it made us a bit of a prisoner. Because we're a slave because we don't go places we would like to go and we don't enjoy things we would like to enjoy. And when we see people and and they're at a place that we have to be, now all of a sudden we don't want to be there and we become a slave to what they're doing and what they're doing dictates our actions because we just can't stand to be around them. And, And so even though they're the one that did everything wrong, now we're a prisoner to where they go and what they do and what they say. And so we create an enemy and we have a grudge and then we also became a slave and a prisoner. And some of us, we don't even know our aggressor. We don't even, we don't even personally know the person that's done us wrong, but we know that we, know that we work hard and, and we try to do everything right, but, but they tend to they get things that they don't deserve or maybe they've, they've been able to do some things to hurt us and we don't even know them, but when the thought of them comes up, well, it totally robs us of our joy. And we become a prisoner to them because they get to have joy and they get to enjoy things. But when they come up, we got no joy. 
We become a slave and a prisoner to these people in addition to the grudges and the enemies that we've created. But here's what happens. Bad things have happened, but you get to choose whether or not you're a slave or a prisoner. And you get to choose whether or not that's the fate that you have. And you get to choose whether or not you move on. Here's how Joseph's story ends. And I think if anybody, if any of us could write a, an ending to a story about somebody we've got a lot of beef with, then it would probably end kind of like this. Joseph's story ends. He's surrounded at the, at the end of his life and towards the end. Joseph is surrounded by his brothers, uh, the same ones that sold him into slavery, surrounded by his dad. And now he's an equal now, now he is an equal with them. They've lost this animosity, and, and they're living together, and he's done much for them, and they've done much for him. And the very same people that sold him into slavery now are again his brothers, and now are people that he lives with, and now are people that he dines with and he has meals with. And there's this complete and full restoration for Joseph. And, and obviously, restoration doesn't always result in a full relationship being restored. And we don't always get to have this kind of thing with people even when we've moved on. But here's how things went from we sold you into slavery to all of a sudden we're brothers again and this place of fullness and peace. This is how they got from there to there. Uh, Genesis chapter 45 and verse 3. Joseph sees his brothers after years and years, and he's finally going to tell them that, hey, this is me. And here's what he says. He says, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They're speechless, right, because they sold him into slavery years ago, and now standing before them is a guy who's really important and a guy who has the power to say, kill them or let them live. And they had no idea when they sold their brother into slavery that this is the kind of place that he would be in. But now he's standing before them, and no doubt they're, they, they're scared out of their mind. Because if you had sold someone into slavery and now they stand before you and they get to determine your fate, that, that's a little scary. It says they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And now he reminds them that, hey, I remember what you did to me. And I remember all the wrong things that you did and everything about it, and don't think that I forgot. But then in verse 5 he says this. He says, but don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. <laughs> preserve your lives. Here's what I would say to you. You can forgive, you've got to forgive, and you've got to move on because God has a bigger plan for you. And God has a bigger plan for you than being angry and holding a grudge and having anger and animosity and being a slave and a prisoner and getting all that resulting stress from all those things that you've built up. God has bigger plans for you. And Joseph could forgive these people because he realized that God had a bigger plan for him. Here's what Joseph does, and I think it's key. Joseph doesn't stop at forgiveness. He moves totally beyond all the formalities of forgiveness and all those things, and, and immediately he begins to serve his brothers. And what I would say is we have to be people not only that forgive, but that also move on. Can you agree with me on this? It's easier to move than it is to move on. 
is someone, if there's someone that you can't stand, it's much easier to move out of their way and to not go where they go and to not do what they do. It's much easier to do that than to forgive and move on and move past it. And it's much easier to move than it is to move on. And the reality is it actually really sucks to move. Am I right? What do people say if you're moving from one house to another and someone moves? What do they say right after they move? I'm never moving again. Anybody say that? Every time I've moved, like, there was a time in my life where I lived in, like, eight houses in eight years. And every time that I moved, immediately I said, I'm never moving again. Because it absolutely stinks to move. But here's the way that it is. If you had to choose between that person who's done everything wrong towards you and that person who, and maybe that group of people who have done nothing but bad things to you, if you had to choose between sitting in front of them and saying, I forgive you, and you don't get it now and you won't get it and you'll continue to treat me wrong and do all those things, but I forgive you and I am past it and I want nothing but good things for you. And if you had to choose between doing that and packing up all your stuff into a tiny U-Haul and maybe even venturing into the attic where there are things you haven't seen for years and you had to clean out the entire house, you had to do all that, pack it all up into a little bitty space, move somewhere else, unpack every bit of it. If you had to choose between those two things, it's a real toss-up. And that's because it is much easier to move than to move on. And some of us would begin to say, well, you know, do I have to mean all those things that I say? Because I may can get the words out, but if I have to mean them, this is going to be super challenging. Because it's much easier to move than to move on. But here's what I'll tell you, and this is something you see in the story of Joseph, and you really see all throughout Scripture. And I'll tell you that, that on the other side of forgiveness and on the other side of moving on is peace. Is peace and is victory and is total fulfillment. And if you can think about the place that you were in before this grudge moved in and before this enemy came along, if you can think about that place, you can absolutely be there again. Romans 12.20, it says, instead, instead of doing terrible things to your enemy, it says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. And then it says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And it says, there is victory on the other side of forgiveness. Romans 12.4 says, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. There is victory on the other side of forgiveness. And if you want to win this thing, if you want to get past this thing, you've got to be willing to forgive. I told you this story before. There's this guy named uh, Reginald. He was a... Uh, extremely overweight. His doctor placed him on this real strict diet. He said, here's what I want you to do, Reginald. I want you to eat uh, two days a week. Just eat normal. Eat like you always eat. And on the third day, I want you to skip. So eat normal two days, third day skip. Do this for a couple weeks. Come back and see me. I guarantee you'll have lost about five pounds. He goes. He does all this stuff. He comes back to the doctor. He's lost almost 20 pounds. The doctor's pretty shocked, and he's like, man, you must have really stuck to this regimen. I mean, and I know when you stick to it, it absolutely works. And Reginald says, well, I tell you what, I did. And, and on the third day, I thought I was going to drop dead. And the doctor says, uh, why? You were so hungry? And he says, no, from all the skipping. Okay, so here's the idea. Um, experts say if you want to lose weight, you can't just stop eating. You've got to fill that void with something else. And you've got to fill that void either with exercise or healthy food 
or maybe skipping, right? If you wanna if if you wanna just try to stop being angry and you just want to you don't want any restoration of any relationship, you just want to stop being angry, you just want to move on, you'll get some minimal results. And maybe you can forget about it for a little while, but as soon as you see that person again, or as soon as you are in that situation again, it all wells back up. And if you want to just forget it and leave this empty space, you can do that a little bit. But if you'll seek to replace enemies with friends, and when that's not available, if you'll at least replace grudges with forgiveness, then you can have some victory. And then then that's where peace is. I don't know what it is for you. I can think about what it is for me and all the places that I really need to go and seek forgiveness or I really need to just, even if I can't get in touch with somebody, I really need to forgive them even if in my own mind. And I don't know what it is for you. And maybe it's your brother or your sister. And, and maybe you need to go and tell them you're sorry even if they're absolutely the one who did everything wrong. Maybe it's that. Uh, And then you can be released from the tension that exists every time that you're together. Maybe you can show them that the love of Christ is bigger than this quarrel or this argument or this clashing of personalities that we have. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's some group of people, and you need to find the embodiment of that group of people that is in your community, whatever group it is that you've come to despise for whatever reason. And maybe they've done something to you, and maybe your beef with them is based on race, if you're just honest with yourself. Maybe it's based on prejudice. Maybe it's based on a real honest event that happened in the past. Maybe it's based on politics, and they just think different than you, and everything they stand for is totally different than you. And maybe there's just any group out there that when you're around them, you're angry or you're uneasy and you just can't. When the thought of them comes up, it just makes you a little bit angry. And maybe you need to find someone like that and just be good to them. And just do good things for them. And in doing so, begin to forgive them. Uh, when Scripture talks about forgiveness, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a verb that, that ends immediately. It's this ongoing verb. And so forgiveness is this idea of forgiving and continuing to forgive. And maybe you need to find that person and begin that process of forgiveness. You can insert whoever it is that you've got problems with or you just can't stand whether they know it or not. Insert that person into the blank and then begin to seek forgiveness. The same kind of forgiveness that Jesus extended to you and extends to you and to me, despite all that we've done, to absolutely not deserve it. God, we praise you that you are a God that forgives. And God, we praise you that on the other side of of all this, in in, in our own personal lives, society-wide, all this unforgiveness that we harbor and this animosity that we harbor, that there is a place completely beyond this. And there is much peace in our minds and peace in our families if we will just begin to be people that forgive. God, as, as, we, as we close now, I just can't help but say thank you for your forgiveness. Knowing that all the things that I've done and the things that I've thought and, 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 and knowing me inside out, but yet knowing that even though you know that and even though I, I'm so insincere, even sometimes as I ask for forgiveness, that you forgive me anyway. And so, God, I just praise you that you are a God that forgives unconditionally. And, God, I pray that we would be a people that in some way extend that to others as well. Amen.